Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Well, guys, we're starting our Advent series. I don't know if you were here last week. You saw we were talking about it. And I'm excited because I get to kick it off this year. I think I kind of kicked it off last year. But I get to kick it off this year and go in a little bit of a different direction than we went last year. You see, we're entering the Advent season. And that is the four weeks or the four Sundays leading up to Christ's birth, if you don't know. It's a... It's a um, thing that's in the liturgical um, year observed by most Christian uh, denominations as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the birth of Christ. And sometimes we get so busy in life that we don't we don't stand in that space of expectant. We just want to get there really quickly because when we're waiting and we're expecting for something, it's not necessarily fun at times. So, and it's 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 a funny thing. So the word advent means just real quick is the arrival of a notable person, thing or event. Okay, a notable person, thing, or event. Advent for us is about Jesus. You see, I believe um, throughout this last year, either God's really pounding something into my head or all of us just need to rehear what it means to actually wait because this is something I feel like I have preached on so many times this year. So either it's just me being hard-headed or we're all a little hard-headed and need to hear it again. So it's either, like I said, like I say often, it's either just for me or you just guys get to benefit or... It's where you guys are at as well. And I I know some conversations I've had, and I know a lot of people that are in my life that aren't even here, that are in this season of waiting. And it is tough. So I believe it's not just for me. Last week, we were getting things ready for Thanksgiving. And most of you guys, while you were getting things ready for Thanksgiving, it was preparing food and getting all the tables and all the decorations. For us, it was destroying our whole kitchen. I don't know why that was our brilliant idea last Saturday, Friday night last week, we had, it was my idea, (laughs) last Friday night, we had a night away, and when we got up Saturday morning, we were like, okay, we're going to be going back home, what are we going to do today? And I think it was my idea initially, but but Chris was like, let's go to Home Depot and get all this stuff, and let's go start these cabinets. So we destroy our kitchen, and it is in chaos. So if you were OCD or if you have um, ADD, ADHD, anything like that, it is going to affect your normal routine, right? Well, I'm not naming anyone in my home that has those, but we have a few people in our home that have those, those things that will affect their normal routine. And so Micah asked me um, midweek, <laughs> um, he said, so when... First off, is like, when is this going to be done? I, this is what he said. We were in a, in a little meeting together, and he said, I had to make my cereal basically in the sink this morning. When is the kitchen getting put back together? And I'm like, dude, like, this is renovation. What am I? I don't know what to tell you. Then the next thing that he follows up with is, when are we decorating our Christmas tree? When are we decorating the house? My mind is like, let us get through one thing. The tree's up. Can you just be happy? The tree's up. But no, he wanted to know when the decorations were going up. But let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. He said, because it makes me feel good. 
It makes me feel good when the lights are on the tree and it's all decorated because you know what happens? He has an expectation. He is hopeful for what's to come. He knows once this happens, once the Christmas lights are up, that means something is coming and it's going to be good. And he brings, it brings hope to his life. And so maybe that's where we're at. Maybe that's where you're at, where you're needing something that brings hope into your life, something that's lit up, that makes you have that good inside feeling that's like, yes, something good is ahead. Well, good news, guys, is it's here. It is here, not just physically in the Christmas spirit. The Christmas spirit is here, but we have Christ. He is here. And so The great thing about Advent and this season is it's an invitation for each of us to step back from the busyness of life and and see the bigger picture that God has given us. The bigger picture of the great salvation that came through Jesus. That's what we get to do. We have to force ourselves to slow down long enough to see the goodness of God in this season. We all have been given a reason to hope. We all have been given a reason to hope, and that is so good because Jesus is our hope. He's our hope. He's the one that we are to anchor our hope in when when it's dark, when there's no Christmas lights in your home, when there's no decorations up. It is Jesus that we anchor our hope in, that we say, you know what, I'm expecting better days. I'm expecting a better situation because of Jesus and because of his promises. You see, the presence of Jesus is is our salvation. In Luke 2:11 it says to you is born this day in the city of David a savior. He is Christ the Lord. The Advent season season guys is an invitation for us to take a step back. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to slow down enough to be able to embrace the bigger picture that God has given us? God has given us hope. And that's so good. That is like, I love the song that we just ended with because the Oh Holy Night, because it talks about that hope that we've been given. And I absolutely love that. You see, we, we sometimes need the feelings. Like Micah said, I need the feelings. Like I want this stuff up because we need the feelings. But beyond all of the fuzzy feelings, all of the warm feelings, where do we find hope at? when those things aren't there. You see, biblical hope is a confident trust that God, that God will keep his promises. Not me, not you, not the people around you, but that God will keep his promises. Because we, I will fail you, you will fail somebody, and somebody will definitely fail you. But God keeps his promises. So today we're going to consider three different dimensions of what hope is. And we're going to be looking through um, a man named Simeon in his, his life, which is very sh- like short understanding of what we're going to be going through. It's not a ton of information about him per se. But in looking through this, the three dimensions we're going to look of of hope is the act of hoping, the reason for hope, and the object of hope. Okay, so the act of hoping, reason for hope, and the object of hope. In Luke 2, 25 through 35, if you are following along on the screen, not your paper Bible. I always, I I do, I really do miss paper Bibles sometimes. It gives you that time where it's like, go ahead and look in the scriptures, guys, and you like flip pages, and then we're like, and we get a sip of something without having to awkwardly pause. So I'm going to pretend randomly that y'all do that. 
So Luke 2, 25 through 35, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when, his, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him. God blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33 says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Sorry, for a sign which will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts will, may be revealed. So, Real quick, who is this man, Simeon, that we're going to be talking about? He was old, first off. We know that because he's talking about his death. He's now able to go in peace because he has met Jesus. So he's old, and we also see that he was devoted to the Lord, that he was a, he was a just man, and he was devoted to God, okay? And so Luke does not tell us about his position or his occupation, don't know what that is in this, these scriptures. But Simeon viewed himself as a slave to God. Like a slave, Simeon thinks of himself as totally responsible to and dependent on God. He is waiting for this promise to come to pass. So let's talk about the act of hoping, hope that Simeon had in his life. You see, the scripture says he is waiting Okay, we have to sometimes slow down and read what is being said to us and see the bigger picture in these people's lives. Because sometimes we just bypass what that looks like in the waiting. But we can't. We can't bypass that. It says he was waiting. You see, in the, the, um, the Hebrew language, the word hope means to wait. The root in Hebrew of wait is stretched strings. Ooh, right. So on this guitar here, we see these stretched strings that are there, right? Everybody, you can mostly see it. If not, there's, well, that one's turned around. But there's stretched strings here. They are not making music unless someone comes up here and plays them, correct? But they're there, and they make beautiful noise when they are being played. They're stretched strings, okay? But they're waiting to be played, because they will make beautiful music. In the waiting, sometimes we have to realize that the beautiful things are activated when we are doing them, when we are stepping into them, when we are waiting, but we're being proactive, and I'm going to pick that up, and I'm going to play it and create the beautiful music that comes from it. So the waiting, the hope is waiting. It's stretched strings. But often in our culture, and in this time, waiting is not so cool. It's the boring thing because we're so go, 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 make it happen, make it happen, do it, keep going. So it can become boring. 
I, I find it interesting because kids, kid, and I feel like I'm getting so old that I'm having to say this. Kids today. Um, yeah, that's what it feels like. I'm really old. Oh, Jesus, help me. Um, there's no waiting. It's instant access. When you have to wait for a movie to load, when you're wanting to watch it on whatever your platform you're on, Netflix, Hulu, whatever, the TV starts messing up and it does that little loading thing, we're like, oh, what the world? Why is it not just happening right now? Waiting, we have a hard time with that. Maybe it's for finishing school, for, for younger people, for older people like me who would be in school. Waiting to get that, that piece of paper that says you have finished is not something that's necessarily fun. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes waiting in the process. Maybe you're waiting for that perfect person to come along, which let me let me debunk that. There's no perfect person that's going to come along. So stop waiting on that. Okay. But maybe you're waiting for your person to come along for your person who is going to be that person you spend the rest of your life with. The waiting for that can be hard. But in the waiting, when you have hope and you are expectant, it's worth it. It is always worth it not to rush it. Okay. But think about, I think about the picture of a groom and a bride on the wedding day. When you think about that picture, I've been at many weddings, and to this day, I've not seen this. And if I did, I would have very much to say about it. But when you're at a wedding, the groom is not standing up there. I think the groom's normally on this side. He's not standing up at the altar like, hmm, when's she coming? And like looking around and like huffing and puffing and acting all a fool. Because if he did, and you're at that wedding, you should go tell the bride, run. Like the runaway bride movie, go ahead and just go now. Because that is not, that, that, that is not patiently waiting. That is not just being calm about it. That is being just completely rude and disrespectful. Like, wait patiently. Okay? But anyways, I've been at many weddings, and I don't normally, and I've never seen that happen from a groom. I see a smile of expectant excitement and joy, almost like that jittery smile, like it's so big, your face hurts. That's what I've seen. I mean, sometimes it's a nervous smile where it's barely there because it's like, I'm trying not to pass out. But that's what I've seen at, at weddings when I've gone to them. And I believe that's what we're, do, we're to do when we're in the waiting is to be expectant and hopeful not agitated and frustrated. And I'm not, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I've been there. I have been agitated and frustrated and looking at the clock like, God, anytime now, anytime now you can come through. I've been there, but that's not where we're supposed to stay. It's just not, we're not. So Simeon waits and he prays and he watches and he is looking forward to God's promises while living a devoted and righteous life. You see, Thanks. <laughs> that was funny. That just reminded me of something. Anyways, living a righteous life, like I said last week, guys, that living a righteous life is not about how good you can be. And it's not about working to be righteous because we are righteous in Christ. We've already been given right standing with God. We don't have to work towards that. But what we do get to do is we get to work to live righteously because our place and our identity is righteous, but the way we live is up to us. 
The way we walk this earth is up to us. And do I choose to live righteously or not? That's up to me. But we see Simeon treated people rightly. And he lived devoted to God. You see, Peter instructs the church to live in the same way as we wait for the second advent. Yes, advent. It says in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, it says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And we jump down to verse 14, and it says, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. You see, living devoted and treating people right in this world has become something that is boring, that is looked down upon, and that is not necessarily what we see often, even within Christian communities. Because first off, is living this way, living this right way of living, living this life of love is actually sometimes will get you called less than a Christian, not good enough to be a Christian because it actually looks counter to what some Christians are actually living because they want to get up on the, the, the soapbox and start placing judgment on people because for some reason we feel that we have a right to tell someone else exactly what scripture means and says and says we should do when really what scripture is saying is we are to love. And when we are actually doing this and we're living a righteous life and we are living devoted, that means I'm willing to walk with you through the valley in love and not have to stand on a soapbox and tell you how bad you are, how unright you are, how whatever it is that you're doing is not good enough. No, because I will love you through it. And if you get to the place where you're free from it, I'm still loving you. I'm still there for you. That's what righteous living looks like. That's what being devoted to the Lord looks like. Walking in love with others. So maybe we need to reframe our thoughts about righteous living or right living in some people's words. I believe, like I've said many times, is you cannot go wrong by being loved and walking in love. When we are being loved by God, we will ultimately walk in love towards the body of Christ, towards all of humanity, not just people we think we should walk in love with, but with everyone. You see, many of us spent this last week cooking for our family, preparing recipes that we knew exactly the way they should be done. You have that little card that you got from your grandma or your great-grandma, and this is the way that recipe is to be done because I wanted to taste like grandma's tasted or great-grandma's tasted. I wasn't cooking this week, y'all. I didn't cook. But 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 there's there's also directions I need to follow when I'm painting. There are, but I don't always follow them. I'm kind of a rule breaker. Um, and wallpaper coming off the wall, there's ways you should do it. And I always go around those rules of how you should do things. And then I finally do it the right way sometimes. But, but there's recipes that you follow to a T. There's directions you follow to the T because you know what the outcome will be. I'm not saying there's some perfect recipe to follow God, but I'm telling you, we've been given directions. We've been given an understanding of what that looks like, and it's walking in love. 
We've been giving, we've been giving guidance, per se, of what it looks like. So, will we be thankful in all circumstances and not complain? Mm, y'all, y'all are quiet this morning. Are y'all still on like a carb overload like I am? Everybody just, you can say yes, talk back. It's really dark out there, so. Will we be thankful in all circumstances and not complain? I understand we are all, we are longing for something better and that something better will come. But like I tell my kids, will complaining make it come quicker? When Micah's begging me for a sleepover or JoJo's begging me for a sleepover that's supposed to come next weekend, complaining about it on Sunday for next Saturday doesn't make next Saturday come quicker. So what will we do in the waiting? Will we complain about it? Or will we be thankful in all circumstances? Will we live distracted or devoted to God? Is filling your life with the most possible pleasure, my, is filling my life, sorry, with the most possible pr- pleasure my primary goal while I wait? And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying avoid pleasure because it says in the, in the scripture, it says that all good and all good things come from God. So I'm not saying avoid pleasure. Pleasure's not the enemy here, but will I allow my life to be distracted by the things that bring me pleasure or devoted to God with the things that bring me pleasure? There's a difference there. While we wait, will we prioritize? Will we prioritize? We can see that Simeon's reason for hope was the promises from God. His reason for hope was promises from God. The promise was, Simeon, you will not die. You will not die before you see the Messiah. God's specific in his promise to Simeon. It fits within his bigger picture of what was to come. You see, Simeon is waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah to come, the anointed one. We understand from reading the Old Testament, or we understand from reading the Old Testament um, and all the Old Testament stories that a king is anointed or designated as a chosen one to lead a nation. That's what we read all throughout scriptures in the Old Testament. And David was anointed as king. And he ruled over Israel's most prosperous, or he was one of Israel's most prosperous, I'm going to get the word out, king. He was one of their most prosperous kings. And God made a promise to David. If you remember, he promised David that he would be the king would, or sorry, that a king would come from the line of David and would sit on David's throne forever. That king was the anointed one, the Messiah. King David dies. The kingdom goes, or the kingdom of Israel is divided. And eventually the people go into exile. After exile, some return to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the city in preparation for the coming king, the Messiah. But the people waited 400 years between what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. Y'all, 400 years. 400 years they waited. They anticipated. I can only imagine that slowly the prophetic hope that they stood on for so long of the Messiah coming turns into a pessimistic hope. Have you ever been there where you're like, no, I know this thing's supposed to happen, but man, God, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Is this ever going to happen? 
In the fullness of time, Jesus comes, and he claims to be the Messiah. In John 4, we see Jesus talking to this woman, and she knows the messianic hope. And she says to him in John 4, 25 through 26, she says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, this is like the mic drop moment, I, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. He, the Messiah has been promised, but the people in Simeon have been waiting for a long, long time. Like much of us, many of you maybe are waiting for something, a promise that you have been standing on to come to pass for a long, long time. Just to give you hope is, is, is he is faithful, but like it said in the scriptures, his time is not like our time. The timing may look very different, and the outcome may look different. I heard a pastor say, he said, don't be careful what you're expecting for, because often what you're expecting for comes out very different than what you expected it to look like, because we don't really know how everything's supposed to be. We don't always know what's best for us. Thank God for that. Thank God the things sometimes that you pray for, God doesn't just magically give it to you right away, because sometimes it's just not good for you. It's just not going to turn out, in the long run, good for you. So why would, why would Simeon think that God would keep his promise? Why do you believe God will keep his promise for you? Well, Simeon is devoted and careful to keep his religious duties because his religious duties help him to remember the faithfulness of God. You see, he knows the stories of the Old Testament. God promised deliverance for, for Egypt. He uh, promised deliverance for them, and it came correct? You go back in scriptures, you read all this. God promised to provide in the desert, and what did he do? He gave them water and bread from heaven. He was faithful. God promised a land to live in, and the walls of Jericho fell down. You see, Simeon has reason to hope because he remembers God's faithfulness time and time and time again, because he was able to go back and read about these encounters from generations before. Just like we are, we can go back and we can recount stories about our family and how God has overcome in them, how God has raised people into positions that, that they were not currently in, how he's restored situations, how he's, he's healed people and we've seen health in them. We can go back. You see, you and I have a reason to hope. We have a reason to hope. We have a reason to hope because God has kept his promise. Not only to Israel, he is faithful to keep his promise to you and to me. It's not just what he did for someone else. It's what he has done for you and I throughout our whole lives. His promises are he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has sent the Holy Spirit who will be our comforter and our guide. He, our, uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who says, you know what? We don't have to complain right now. We can rejoice in this moment. That's that nudging in your, in your gut that's like, hey, check yourself. That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He says, he's promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we get in this time right now, we're in a culture where people are saying, you know what? The church is dying. People aren't coming to church. Well, you know what? Let's change it. We're the ones who change that. We're the ones who walk in love. And we're the ones who show what the kingdom is supposed to look like. The gates of hell's not, hell's not going to prevail over the church. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. If I go, I will come again 
You see, Simeon had reason to hope, just as we do. You see, the object of Simeon's hope was Jesus. The object of our hope is Jesus. Scripture says he took the baby Jesus in his arms. He took the baby Jesus in his arms. And in that moment, he knew this was salvation. This is the promised Messiah because he saw God in Jesus. When we walk through this life, guys, living living and, and doing the things that we're supposed to do in love, the world around us will know that's what salvation looks like. That's hope. That is God. You are God and you are God. Not that you are a God, but that you are revealing God to the world that you are the hands and feet of Christ, just like we are. You see, when Simeon picks up Jesus, the child, he does not say this baby is a sentimental reminder of God's love or our hope for a better world. That's not what he says. In verse 30 in Luke, it says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, all nations, a light of, for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You see, Simeon is alluding to several passages from Isaiah when he praises Jesus. In Isaiah 49, 6, these are all Old Testament scriptures here, guys. Isaiah 49, 6, it says, I will make, make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 52.10 says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He, he bared his arm. God showed his strength. Salvation is only something that God can accomplish for us. Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people will walk in, dar in darkness, will see a great light. The people who walk in darkness, sorry, will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. A light will shine in every dark place. That is a promise from God. If you find yourself in a dark place, a light will shine. It's coming. It's here, actually. It's here now. But what we do with the light that's already been shown to us or shown, shining on us is up to us. It's how we see it. It goes back to that perspective shift. You see, although Jesus is the Messiah promised to come to the nation of Israel, he is the hope for all nations. It doesn't just end with Israel. That is so good for us. It's for all nations. Every single person you come in contact with, it's for them. You see, Jesus is the light and the darkness, and darkness is absent, is the absence of light. We all know intuitively that the world is missing something, that it's not as it should be, because Jesus is what every single person needs to know about. Our, our light that we have is what every single person needs to encounter. We intuitively know that. And the light that we have and that so many people need, because the, the darkness still does try to cast a shadow on the light, is what we get to bring, and that's hope. We get to bring that. You see, many of us sit in these shadow moments where we ask God, what is your plan, God? What does it look like? Because I don't get it right now. The shadow I feel over me doesn't reveal what this plan looks like. We find ourselves sometimes begging God, begging him for something to just be able, God, 
please just put the lights on the Christmas tree so I can see something. Have you been there? Yes, just something, God. Give me something. But the truth is he has. He has given us the something. He has given us the only thing that we need. And it's Jesus. It is Jesus. It is the hope of glory that he has given us. You see, Simeon then makes a prophecy saying, Jesus is going to cause a rising and a falling in Israel. Those who take pride in their own spiritual heritage and achievements, there will be no place for them. They will fall. Those who throw themselves on God's mercy, they will rise. They will rise. Where do we find ourselves? Like, don't, don't get ourselves in this place of, of I, I have created my own righteousness. No, it's not us who has done that. We live righteously because we are righteous because of Christ and because of his love. And so that's a, that's a perspective shift we all have to, we all have. To have. It says, then, the, then um, we read the personal message that he spoke to Mary. And it said, a sword will pierce your own soul, too. You see, Simeon is speaking of the cross. He's, he's telling her of what's going to happen. And I cannot imagine the anguish that Mary would feel at the cross. But Jesus, Jesus himself made sure to let the disciples know that it's going to get better. It will be better. There is a reason for all of this. You see, Simeon gave Mary a glimpse of her future, but Jesus gave the disciples the bigger picture. And in Luke 9, 2, it says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. What Jesus said would really happen. It really came to pass. We know that. They, they didn't know that at that point. But we know that. Jesus died a real death at the hands of real people to show this real world what love on full display looks like. He literally loved us to his death. Literally. It really happened. So to have a hope in the promise of God's love for all is where we get to stand is that we get to stand in that place. You see, God implants the Holy Spirit into us, and we get to live no longer under the shadow of death. We don't have to live there any longer. First Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant, abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We have a present hope, a living hope through Jesus. Through his resurrection, we have a future hope that because Christ has risen, he will come again. He lives in us in this very moment. So Jesus is the object of our hope. He's the object of our hope. I have hope even when I feel sorrow, even when I'm grieving, even when I'm walking through the valley, because the object of my hope isn't myself, it isn't this world, it isn't what people can do for me, it's Christ. And I know a lot of, a lot of people this year, just in this, 
this year, it's not even done, have experienced great sorrow in this year. And sorrow can be disorienting. It can kind of feel like a shadow over us. It can feel foggy and really hard to understand. And Satan's hope is that in suffering that we would abandon God or at least question question or relegate him to an idea or a sentiment or a God that's only good at Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, but he wouldn't be the one we'd be devoted to. But Jesus came in the flesh. He came to be like us in human flesh. That's a huge deal. The world is not all that it all, sorry, the world is, is not all there is, but it is a good world. It is a good world that we live in. There are good people in this world. So we get to live confident and trust in God's promises. We get to live confidently in the waiting because of hope, because of Christ, and because of love. And so I'm going to read a few scriptures as I get ready to close here for you. Because God is, not, God is not slow in keeping his promises as some count slowness. Like I said, we may feel, man, is this ever going to happen? But he is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Psalms 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. In Jesus, we put our hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, it says, let's hold on un, unswervingly to the hope we profess for we, for he who promised is faithful. I'm going to read that again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. You see, Jesus is our hope and salvation. The act of hoping that we have is found in our waiting. That was the point one. The, the act of hoping is found in our waiting. The reason for hope is the promises from God that we have been given. And the object of our hope is Jesus himself, who is with us, who never leaves us nor forsakes us. We all get to stand in a place of hopeful expectation in this season of what's to come. Even in moments of sorrow or grief or hard seasons, we still have that hope. Let me close in prayer, guys, as we go into this time of worship. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that you are our hope, that it's not dependent on us and what we can do and how many things we can do and how good we can be, but it is in your goodness. It is in your love. And we will stand today hopeful and expectant in waiting times that you are good no matter what and that you love us and that we love you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.